0: Welcome to the third episode of WINS, aka Women in Sport, and today we've got Tori
1: Hamilton-Wilson from Ankura joining me. Tori, take it away. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So I guess I'll just give a brief introduction about myself. Uh, I'm a forensic accountant uh, and a director in the disputes and economics team uh, at Ankura here in London. Um, I'm originally from Australia, so I've been in the UK for about two years now. Um, at times absolutely flown by, it doesn't feel like that long, but no, yeah, i excited to be here.
0: And I guess um, the main point of this podcast essentially is uh, to find out more about you and your connection to sport. So what can you tell me about your personal connection to sport?
1: Yeah, so I grew up playing um, a lot of different sports throughout school uh, and my family were also really keen skiers. So from the ripe right age of three years old, I learned how to ski uh, up at Mount Buller. Which is about three hours from Melbourne Uh, and yeah we spend a lot of our winters uh, up there skiing and it was through that that I joined some of the the skiing clubs um, Mm -hmm. that were there. When I sort of hit high school I started competing in mogul events and slopestyle events uh, and it was after school that I looked to pursue sort of slopestyle events a bit more seriously. Um, Yes for those listening at home, a uh, slopestyle is a freestyle event. Yeah. Uh, you can do it in, on skis or snowboard and well, you've got a course um, in the ski run and you've got different obstacles. So you might have six to eight sort of features that you hit. Uh, There'll be big air jumps and then also rail features that you slide along. And so you'll go down and do one after the other and then you'll have um, judges sort of scoring your run based on your degree of difficulty, um, how well you've executed those jumps and tricks and uh, also your creativity that you bring to the run. Um, so I competed in that in Australia, but as you may know, we've got very short winters um, and a limited supply of snow. So what uh, athletes generally do in Australia is head or chase, chase the winters. So they head mm-hmm. over uh, overseas in the Northern Hemisphere uh, and spend a lot of their time training over the, the northern winter uh, overseas. So when I finished school, I did that. Uh, and that's when I competed at my first uh, international slopestyle event. Amazing. Uh, and so I did like competing for a few years um, and then decided to hang up my boots and sort of explore a different career. Um, but I think as, as a lot of athletes do that at sort of any stage of their career, um, you, know, you spend so much time skiing or playing sport and training for that sport and competing that when you stop, you kind of feel like there's something missing you've got a lot more time on your hands as well. Yeah, of course. Um, And so I wanted to stay connected with the snow sports industry. um, And so that's when I started getting involved in mogul judging. Uh, And so I've done that throughout Asia uh, for the last 10 or so years. Um, And then I'm also involved in a not-for-profit skiing program Mm -hmm. called Chicks with Sticks, which is back home in Australia. Love the name. (laughs) And uh, that is all about increasing uh, awareness and participation of females in skiing uh, and snowboarding and particularly uh, freestyle, which historically has been quite a male-dominated industry. Yeah, okay, well, I mean,
0: I guess taking away from your professional, let's say, <laughs> um, competition, we, uh, you obviously now work for Ankura, so I, I guess you've got a connection to sport through Ankara as well. I, I don't know if you could tell our listeners a bit about what you do in your day-to-day.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I didn't really set out to be a forensic accountant and think that I'd be able to interact with the sport industry. So it's been quite nice to be able to do that uh, through my work. Uh, But at Ankura we've got a sports advisory practice. And so within that, we offer services to um, sporting bodies, uh, major event stakeholders, um, investors, and sort of other stakeholders who are within the sports industry um, to help reduce, mitigate, and manage their risks. And so that might be political risks, uh, reputational or financial risks. So what that looks like in practice uh, is we offer services where we advise on good governance, uh, compliance and integrity matters. So that's all about reducing risk. Uh, the work that I sort of get primarily get involved in is managing risks. So that might be a crisis has emerged uh, mm-hmm. and we need to respond to that crisis. Um, That could be through an investigation, so um, into financial fraud, bribery or corruption, uh, or any sort of misconduct that may have happened in a sporting organisation. And then we have sort of other forensic accounting services, so the dispute resolution process. Has there been a a post-transaction dispute um, arise from the sale of a sporting organisation? Okay. uh, and I also do valuations. So that might be um, evaluation of business or a sporting organization, um, valuation of media rights, mm-hmm. uh, and then also assessing loss of income of an athlete, uh, whether that's due to injury uh, and they might have a claim against another party. Okay, and I guess just picking
0: up on that point, the the valuations for transactions, personal injury, and so forth, I would assume that these valuations are largely impacted by both the wider sector and the nuances, which, that particular valuation has or will be impacted by. So what differences would you be looking for to account in evaluation which touches on women's sports, for example, B of e, men's sports?
1: Yeah, so when you're undertaking evaluation of any kind, the first thing that you sort of look to do is build a profile around that thing you're valuing. So if you take an athlete as an example, uh, that profile might include where is that athlete in the life cycle of their professional career. Um, you know, what is their current ranking in that sport and what is their expected future ranking in that sport? What competitions do you think that they uh, are going to enter into mm-hmm. uh, and building sort of a model around that over the lifetime? You know, how long do you think they're going to be an athlete for? Uh, there's other considerations into, you know, how successful are they? Do they have sponsorship deals yeah. or endorsements uh, that they receive? Um, and then also considering what might happen after that athlete's life, so have they been really successful in their career that's enabled them to earn a different type of income following their um, sporting career? So from all those inputs, you can sort of prepare an annual cash flow model to forecast out what you think the potential loss of earnings would be over okay. the time period. Uh, and if you consider sort of those inputs that I mentioned, there's nothing there that's gender specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all you know unique to the thing that you're valuing where you might have a difference is when you're looking at the quantum behind those inputs. Okay. So prize money, um, as a great example, you know, there's some sports where you do have pay parity between men and women. Um, you know, in more mature sports like tennis, uh, golf, and even the World Surfing League, um, there's equality there in terms of prize money between men and women. So you might not have that much of a difference between you know, the quantum behind those inputs. Um, but on the other hand, if you take women's football as an exactly. example, there's still a large difference between um, you know, the income that the women earn versus men. So it's taking account of those factors, where we expect where it is now, and where we expect that to be in the future, um, and inputting those those numbers into the model. Uh, and it's probably more around yeah the, the pay and the endorsements and sponsorships where you might start to see those differences.
0: Okay, that's um, super interesting for my benefit. (laughs) So as the popularity of women's sport increases and the business case for women's sports grows, how do you think this will affect private investment in this space? And I guess, you know, just on a really bare, bare bone understanding of what you've just said, I guess you are essentially saying that as investment increases into that sector, so do the valuations,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. No. Definitely interpret that correctly, um, and I think you'll just you'll continue to see that this investment grows um, over time as well. I think the aim of the game really is to see women's sport being just as popular as men's sport, um, and investment will sort of follow that trend. Uh, you know, in some respects, there's still a long way to go for there to be parity on that. Um, but with the rise in popularity, the rise in spectators. Um, it's clear what the general public want to see is that greater investment uh, in that space. You've seen, you know, businesses already capitalise on those commercial opportunities, um, yeah. and I think that will just continue in the future. One thing I think to be mindful of, though, is when you look at an investor and where they're looking to invest. Often, it can happen at the top end of the sport, mm-hmm. so the professional level. Um, it's, you know, definitely is seen as being more lucrative um, for the investor, but without the grassroots programs, the feeder programs that develop athletes over time and prepare them to be professional athletes. you know, If you don't have the supply of athletes coming through, then once you get to the professional level, you might lack quality, you might lack participation numbers. Yep. Um, and so it's important that the investment is sort of spread out across the life cycle of the sport. That makes a lot of sense to me. And
0: um, I guess kind of shifting slightly to the focus of the questions, are there any key takeaways which you think should be reflected in the women's game or women's sports more generally and or key changes you believe could contribute to an offering that could be better than what is currently offered by men's sports, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that there's a lot of sort of sporting organisational structures um, and competition structures that have been built by men for men. And with the rise in women's sport, you used to sort of see, well, we've seen them you know, recently sort of retrofit what these structures, what they've already got around a new cohort. Uh, and that doesn't always work. Yep. Uh, so there's potentially things amongst the structure um, that could change. I think there's a really great example in New Zealand. Uh, about four or five years ago, they made significant investment uh, into promoting the growth of females in leadership and participation of sport across the board. Okay. And uh, they've implemented some really great initiatives that Australia has been keeping sort of a close eye on how it's gone. Uh, I think it's been quite successful that Australia is now looking to do something of their own. Yep. To promote that growth. Um, you know, and some of those initiatives, are simply just looking at what research is needed for the women's game versus the men's game. You know, at a basic level, we've got different genetic makeup and is there different research programs that need to be in place to better the female's game. So it's just those little things I think that, you know, adapting to the growth of women's sport um, that could be implemented to really improve the game overall. So I guess going back to
0: your, um, your role at Ankura in respect of, you know, investigations, financial misconduct, corruption bribery, all of the juicy stuff, (laughs) would uh, there be any changes that make a difference to the potential issues which arise with the men's sports in respect of those, for example, FFP corruption and other financial mishaps? And for those listeners who don't know what FFP means, financial fair play.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably very sport dependent um, and also looking at the timeline of where the women's game is compared to the men's game. Yep. Um, You know, with the rise of these new up-and-coming sports, if we think of them as a a young business in its infancy, it's much easier to implement um, policies and processes from the get-go and sort of communicate them to all the stakeholders that need to know to comply with them. It's much easier to do that uh, for a business in its infancy than it is for a mature business that It has had policies and processes in place for years um, and people know what they are and they might not adapt to change very well. So it's quite hard to change those policies.
0: So I guess it's just an aspect there of just, you know, square peg, round hole and retrofitting women's sports into men's sports, which doesn't necessarily need to always be the case.
1: No, no, it doesn't at all. Uh, And I think the women's game has the benefit of hindsight from the men's game in terms of, you know, it's been, a, for some sports, it's been around for a long time and you can sort of look at what they've, you know, the processes that they have in place, what's worked really well, what hasn't worked really well and has caused sort of those issues. Um, and they can almost pick and choose parts of it that suit them yeah. uh, and to develop those policies and hopefully prevent and mitigate some of the risks that um, have arisen in the men's game. Yeah, for sure. And I guess
0: um, just to round off then, like what change
1: would you like to see for women's
0: sport in the near future? And I mean, this can go back to your skiing, skiing career, but I mean, any
1: anything really? Yeah, I think one thing that I personally noted when I was skiing was a lack of female sort of behind the scenes. So a lot of the time there is focus on the athlete um, and you can understand that because they're the ones in the limelight. They're the ones Mm -hmm. that you go there to watch. Um, but there's a huge team behind that athlete to help them get out on the playing field you know on that day. So and specifically coaches. Um, there was a real lack of female coaches in snow sports when I was competing and I know there still is today. I've got a few friends um, who I grew up skiing with who are now coaches and um, I noticed over International Women's Day recently how they're all posting and, it's a great support crew for you know, women as judges, but there's so few of them still. Yeah. So what I would like to see is you know, the growth in female representation across all levels of sport um, and not just a push to see it at the athlete level.
0: Well, here's hoping we see that change. Yes. And I'd just like to say, if anyone would like to come and share their story, you'd be very welcome to join me. And please do reach out if so. Until next time, keep your ears, eyes and mind open for all the wins.